everybody, Jordan here. The pH is silent, and uh, we this is the Saturday morning D and D show. Uh, today on this episode, we talk about Theros, which is coming out on Tuesday, June second. Um, so we talk a lot about Theros and things that are in that. We also have some rumors about the new adventure that's probably going to be announced during D and D Live 2020. Um, and uh, we talk a little bit about multiclassing. So I hope you guys enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show product placement. My name is Jordan with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. I'm super jealous of Jordan's t-shirt today, so I hope he'll show you that. Probably put a link up in case you want one. I designed this. Yeah, look at that. Um, And it's Magic Missile, so it's got D4s on it, but... uh, yeah, there was that, uh, I think it was Todd Kendrick said, you miss 100% of the magic missiles you don't cast. And I thought that was really funny, and so I wanted to like make a magic missile shirt, and then originally I was going to put the text on there, but then I liked it without the text. So, yeah. Uh, But yeah, if you are interested, I will, uh, I will link my Teespring account, and uh, you guys can, can check it out. Uh, yeah. it's, it's somewhat affordable, maybe? I don't know. Everybody needs it's summertime. Everybody needs a t-shirt now. Yeah, I got lots of cool stuff. I ordered a Jordan with a PH sticker. That's really fun. Um, we've got Jordan University shirts and things like that. So uh, yeah. So anyway, really excited. Um, we are Dungeons and Dragons talk show where we talk about all things D and D and RPGs that we love. Uh, and next week, well Tuesday. Uh, Mythic Odyssey of Theros is coming out, or Odysseys of Theros. There's more than one. And uh, uh, there's been a couple of, not leaks, but uh, I think they did a Twitch stream that I was unaware of. And uh, because of that Twitch stream, some people were able to get screenshots. And then there was a YouTuber that I watched this morning that kind of detailed some of the stuff that's going to be in the book. Uh, and again, on it's going to be released June 2nd, but that's only on D&D Beyond because the physical books, because of the virus, are, are being uh, pushed back. And um, I think World 20. So. Oh, World 20. Yeah, that's true. Oh, digital, yeah. basically. Just digital. the not real books. But um, yeah, um, but yeah, the uh, I was going to bring it up here. The table of contents yeah. um, was kind of interesting. Uh, they have... And this is from um, the Dungeons and Dragons Wizards of the Coast Instagram is where they posted this. But uh, we have um, like Welcome to Theros that kind of talk about the languages and the history and stuff. Um, And then uh, there's a section on supernatural gifts, which we'll get into a little bit later, but only six races, human, centaur, leonin, or leonin, which is Mm -hmm. a tiger race or a lion race. Lion, yeah. Minotaur, satyr, and triton. So those are the six races that are for Theros. And if you're playing a Theros campaign, I think you're encouraged to just use those six races. Um, and that seems like yeah. Greek mythology. You know, oh, yeah, kinda, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, you're not having goblins and things like that. There's no reason to have a lot of that other stuff. Orcs aren't really a thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it's always fun for us because new races equals new combinations you can do with cool things. Um, Mm -hmm. specifically the satyr is like the centaur in that they are fey creatures. So a lot of things that are saying, 
target a humanoid will not work on the satyr or the centaur. Interesting. Um, only one new background, which is funny because backgrounds are so easy to make that I was like, surely you're gonna have, no, okay. Um, but uh, the only new background is athlete, which I thought was kind of interesting. Okay. Um, and it looks like we're gonna have some uh, uh, mythic deeds is what they're talking about. But uh, I wanna talk about supernatural gifts actually. Um, because uh, from way the, the website I watched or the, the YouTube video I watched, and he was talking about it. Really, I should find it and link it. I'm sorry, because he's a he's an early D and D YouTuber. I forget his name, but he did a really good job, and he talked about all this stuff. But um, specifically, they're kind of like boons in the Dungeon Master's Guide, which I don't think I've ever played in a game that has handed out boons. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a cool concept, but I like that they're they're uh, tying the gods in. Because uh, the gods are very present in Theros. They're not like Eberron gods that are kind of abstract ideas of something. These are walk-the-earth kind of gods. And mm -hmm. uh, so supernatural gifts are going to be these boons that you get. And apparently, starting a Theros campaign, every character gets one supernatural gift. And there mm -hmm. are a whole bunch of them. Um, some of them are like plus two wisdom. Some of them are you get this cool ability. Like there was an oracle one that you could uh, cast the spell... Uh, augury as a mm -hmm. ritual once a day which i thought was kind of cool oh. so yeah. um yeah the leonin the tiger or uh, lion race has con two strength one claw attacks the satyr has charisma two dex one fake creature magic resistance gets proficiency and performance um and the triton and the centaur is from earlier stuff so we all have that uh, but they're they're pushing a new thing that I thought was interesting. A lot of these, and I'm wondering if the humans will have this too, but a speed of 35. Why mm -hmm. why are they doing that, Lucian? What is the purpose of, like, why do we have to be five feet faster in Theros as compared to other things? Is that monster balance, you think? or? Yeah, I wonder. And then, um, so if you double it, because that's a very common thing somebody might do, you're going to get to move 70 yeah. over 60, so... Yeah, that is interesting to see. And you um, add haste. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Well, then you start to get crazy. Yeah, they're a monk and they do all this other stuff. And but the other one that's like that is our um, our cat people that are the non the tabaxi, which tabaxi I believe also have a higher speed. Yeah. So um, I don't so know. I guess it's uh, like the animal the animal hybrid people maybe, maybe are getting the higher yeah. speeds. Maybe the, the to show that they're different from the human portion that they're usually kind of a part person part this mm -hmm. um but yeah i don't know why 35 is i i'm assuming you can't go too much higher or things will really start to break down if they no. they start giving things like a 50 run speed uh, tabaxi's walking speed is 30 feet um i don't mean to correct you but i really wanted to look sure. that up because i was like am i remembering that wrong but i yeah. think this is the first time outside of uh certain magic not magic items but i don't know if there's a race that had 35 speed yeah maybe so, not that you say it yeah. i don't know i'm kind of if you know let us know in the chat or the comments below um uh, mm -hmm. but anyway i thought it was, I was it's interesting to me that i'm like i don't know why we had to have 35 is the speed. centaur 35 i imagine the centaur uh, is ooh, i don't know Oh my gosh, we're looking. How are those other things going to outrun a centaur? Come on, that's four legs. That's four legs. <laughs> more legs <laughs> equals more speed. Lucia. It's got one horsepower above all the hey other, all the other ones. No, nope, thirty feet. Oh what? no, sorry. Walking speed is forty feet, but they there have a charge go. that if you move at least thirty feet in a straight line. So yeah, they they're at forty feet. So, okay. but that makes sense. That makes yeah, sense. it's a centaur. Yeah. So, 
and you, ha you have trouble climbing and stuff being a centaur, so it's kind of interesting. That was, I, I almost was going to play the centaur um, in our Waterdeep campaign that was going to go to the underground, but then I thought, you know, that's just going to seem really weird and have to deal with this weird centaur goes underground to dungeon delve doesn't seem right. like something. I, I was like, eh, I think I'm going to stay away from that at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> we had, uh, we played a Deadlands campaign, which is like the Weird West with zombies mm -hmm. and stuff, a, a Wild West game. And my wife played a preacher that was uh, paralyzed in a wheelchair. Um, but the wheelchair was like from Wild Wild West, the uh, oh, yeah. the movie that the cool has uh, yeah. um, everybody in it, Kenneth Branagh and, and uh, Will, Will Smith. Smith. That's the name I couldn't remember. But uh, so she had like a spider leg wheelchair. Nice. Um, but there was still a couple situations where our DM was like, here's a giant like, th how do you get up? And we were like, I don't know. Yeah. She's got this like really heavy uh wheelchair like i don't know how to like get it up the thing and so we had to do some interesting stuff so uh sorry my point if you do play mm -hmm. a centaur uh it could be it could be a fun experience to be like i don't know how i climb a rope you know <laughs> or yeah. like i don't know how i do this uh and mm -hmm. maybe you do take interesting things like magic initiate to get levitate to allow you to mm -hmm. like you know move around but I don't know. It's kind yeah. of interesting. Uh, but yeah, we'll have more information on Theros uh, next week, obviously. Um, it's going to come out on Tuesday and we'll go through it. It looks like it. it I mean, it is Ravnica in the sense that uh, it's a campaign setting. And so they yeah. threw in a couple of like, here's six or here's a couple of races. Here's a couple of uh, subclass options. Um, and then for the most part, we're going to flesh out the world and it's going to have like a, a thing about it. And in Ravnica, it was Renown. Um, that was their big thing is that you could like, not only are you leveling up your character, but you're leveling up within the, the guild that you're, that you're doing uh, mm -hmm. or that you're a part of in Ravnica. And so this one is playing off of that boons with the supernatural gifts. Uh, and so again, that was like Renown was something in the DMG that they're just gonna like, we're gonna use that mechanic and spotlight it because it works really mm -hmm. well for this setting. And I think supernatural gifts or boons will work really well for this setting. Um, yeah. But I like that. I mean, players like to be more powerful. Like, I yeah. think that's cool. Like, what if you were, uh, and, and I like that the gods are important that way. Because if I am a paladin, I'm obviously worshiping a god. But if I am a very devout rogue worshiping uh, the Lord of Thieves mask in the Forgotten Realms, it would be cool mm -hmm. to get a level one starting boon from him. Because uh, uh, aside from other RPGs, Dungeons and Dragons truly is uh, heroes. Like you play a hero. Yeah. And uh, there are other RPGs like DCC and stuff where they're like, you're not heroes, but you very <laughs> much are separate from the, <laughs> the peasants in the world, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, kind of interesting. Yeah, and I think you nailed it right there towards the end too. It's, it's, a, it's a world where the gods interact with all people Whereas yeah. Forgotten Realms is a world where gods interact with those that are devout to them. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily picking champions, although they could in your world, however you run yeah, your Forgotten exactly. Realms. I mean, but in Theros, it's kind of like one of the, in the Greek mythology, it was this idea that they were interacting with all kinds of people. Yeah. They could just, you know, touch a, a teenager working in a field and that kid goes on to become Hercules or something. Exactly. Or goes yeah. on a huge quest because the gods have decided to play games and manipulate and pit them against each other and the and see what happens they're just really into it. so i like the idea of a campaign world where you can have these gods that are really meddling with everything and you can kind of play with that theme a lot which seems really 
Yeah, also, they, it's very Greek inspired. We've said that before, yeah. uh, but I'm working on a video that I'm going to try and release on Tuesday about Theros in the campaign setting. Oh, cool. And this is without knowing, I, I, this is researching Magic the Gathering lore, but uh, mm -hmm. it'll apply because it's it's a Magic the Gathering setting. Um, but like, I mean, beat for beat, very much uh, Greek inspired uh, yeah. to the point where like there were Titans and the people mm -hmm. didn't know what to do. And so the gods came and, and banished the Titans away. And now we have gods and the gods live in this realm. Then there's the mortal mm -hmm. realm. And then there's the underworld, which is like where, where you die and you live yeah. and you have uh, Mount Olympus earth mm -hmm. and uh hades you, you know you have mm -hmm. these three separate areas that we we exist in they just have fancy names like nyx and stuff but it's you know yeah, it's not yeah. mount olympus but it's the same thing like this is where the gods reside they can come to the mortal plane but they don't necessarily mm -hmm. do so uh yeah subscribe to jordan with a ph uh, for lore mm -hmm. on theros this tuesday a day early what it's crazy um if yeah. i can get my act together and actually do some editing um, yeah. And then uh, I wanted to talk about uh, the new adventure rumors. Yeah, um, I didn't even hear of these. Well, uh, <laughs> I was talking to Ted from Nerd Immersion after our game of Rod of Seven Ted. Parts, and yeah, he's very well informed. I think it's his. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's his Discord. People are just <laughs> like Ted. I found this. Make a video on it. And he's like, oh, okay. And like he, but he does. He gets a lot of information from the community, so it's really cool. Um, but the. Uh, the internet is abuzz with like rumors here and there, um, and people are looking at uh, the tie-in. So uh, uh, Dark Alliance is coming um, to Dungeons and Dragons. Dark Alliance is a video game featuring mm -hmm. Drist and Caterbri and uh, uh, Bruno and all the all the people from R.A. Salvatore's books. Um, and I think it's going to be like a hack and slash kind of weird. It's the one that had the weird trailer that we were kind of like, what? Yeah. The one that kind of wasn't as good as the Baldur's Gate trailer. Yeah. Because the Baldur's Gate blew everything yes, away. Yes, it did. Yeah, um, yeah. But this specifically, this this uh, game is coming out uh, end of the year or sometime during this year. And mm -hmm. uh, much like Baldur's Gate uh, uh, Avernus, um, Descent into Avernus, they, mm -hmm. I feel like they put Baldur's Gate's name on that to coincide with Baldur's Gate 3 to kind of give it both a... a, a a bump, a push. I guess, a push. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so this is kind of similar. And so a lot of people, because of there's a snowy owlbear and some of the art that has been out as they're on like an ice peak, that this is going to be yet another Sword Coast adventure, but it's going to be in the far north um, near Icewind Dale, Ten Towns, Drist area. And I wouldn't be surprised if we have a, a Drist like appearance, you know? Who knows? Very cool. We might actually get stats for him in 5e kind of a thing. Um, so uh, thoughts about that. Were you excited for yet another Sword Coast? Did you want <laughs> a different adventure? Maybe a Ravnica adventure? Maybe yeah. uh, something else? I don't know. Yeah, definitely. There's. It's am amazing to me. There's lots of Dales we could hear about, especially if you start to head more east in the world of Forgotten Realms. But we still haven't quite left that coast area. Although Icewind Dale is a very popular place. I mean, that had its own video game and lots of people that were really into the Icewind Dale, you know, kind of Baldur's Gate series of games. And it was a cool top-down isometric game. Mm -hmm. that was awesome. There's a lot that goes on with the books that take us up there to that area. But we haven't had anything D&D 5E official come around that pushed us to, even in Storm King's Thunder, 
you do get to go to the north some, but I don't remember visiting Icewind Dale. We didn't quite get to that area. No, because the frozen north and the spine of the world, it's yeah. all up there. It is kind of its own separate thing. But I think R.A. Salvatore took that area because it was undefined. Because um, every time they're like, oh, you want to write Forgotten Realms books? Well, Ed has this section. Um, <laughs> so I don't know. Like, I mean, you kind of have to work with him if you want to do X, Y, and Z here. But mm-hmm. if you're willing to do an unexplored area, and I think that's another thing is he heavily uh, expanded the Underdark because mm-hmm. that was something that he was allowed to do. And he heavily expanded like the the, the north and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but I don't know. I was a little, I was a little sad. I guess I'm just like another Sword Coast adventure. It could be really cool. Who knows? And let's be honest, Descent into Avernus uh, is not a Sword Coast adventure because you do start here and then you know, dive into hell for most yeah, yeah, of yeah. the campaign you're on mm-hmm. Avernus. So, um, but, and, and yeah. Storm King's Thunder, you start in the Sword Coast area, but you quickly move a lot further east and you do a lot of stuff heading in that yeah. whole eastern area. So you do get to move around a lot and there is a lot detailed if you want to know about that area. But it does surprise me that we haven't gotten over to the Sea of Shattered Stars. We haven't gotten over to all the other dales that are out there. We haven't gotten to any of the other continents that exist. They haven't even taken us over to um, the Elf Island that's ever meet and all those other yeah. places, even out the end of the ocean of, at that point. We've gotten Chult, so Chult brought us south. And Chult was kind of, I mean, least. yeah. yeah uh, so. that, that really defined that for 5th edition, and there was a lot of yeah. interesting things with Chult. But uh, you're right, like Om, Tathir, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of really cool you know, Calimport, I was hoping Calimshan. for the red, the red wizard adventure. That was the rumor I was yeah, hoping Thay? for. The, that would be the interesting. Thay, yeah. Well, and Fey, heavy... they've popped in a lot in the other adventures, but yeah, you're right. They, uh, uh, yeah, the, cool the getting all the way across the map. That's where Thay is. And so that would yeah. be, that would be interesting, but, but I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm glad we're still doing forgotten realm stuff. Um, whenever I said in the past, if I said those things, like I would love, more Magic the Gathering crossover. I would love more campaign settings. I would love a Spelljammer. I'd love a Dark Sun. I'd love for them to revisit Greyhawk and all those things. Mm-hmm. I never meant I don't want more Forgotten Realms stuff because I still love Forgotten Realms. I've grown to love it more with 5e than I ever did before. Mm-hmm. Um, I still like the novels that have you know come out about them. I hope there's more authors kind of starting to take on that using that area in their novels so we get more people writing about it not just ed greenwood and you know uh, the few ra salvatore who are the ones that are the main ones but there should be lots of people writing in those in those areas well yeah and unfortunately uh yeah uh, wizards i think they made a statement that they wanted to get out of the novel publishing business Um, sure and so well they just let other people do it well Don't, don't you know what i mean well, they so they wanted to get out of that, and so they own those properties. But R.A. Salvatore and and the Drist books are still so popular that that yeah. they're like, but we'll we'll make a exception for for Bob, <laughs> and so yeah. uh, they uh, that's why we're getting yet another Drist novel this uh, su- spring summer something. Um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. it should be fun. Uh, but yeah, it's I don't know. We're I think we're out of that we're out of that that uh, expanded world with novels. Mm-hmm. And uh, and this brings up an interesting thing. I'm trying to write a campaign um, world because mm-hmm. I, I think as a dungeon master, it would be fun to make your own world. And uh, the more I think about it, a linear 
timeline like the Forgotten Realms have has, like Dragonlance has, is not a good campaign setting because there's so much established stuff that you think, well, I could play here, I could play here, I could play here, but like the people that are really familiar with it argue, which is why I think a lot of people don't like the Forgotten Realms. Um, mm -hmm. But then you have something like Eberron where every Eberron game really takes place two years after the war ended. And, yeah. and so- Very timeline not a, specific. Yeah, 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 very timeline specific. Whereas like, okay, we're playing in you know the 1480s, what happened? I think this hasn't happened yet. And so, mm -hmm. uh, People get caught up, and so making a campaign setting more of this, uh, like you're playing here. You can do a whole bunch, but it's like right here, and so we don't have, you know, you you decide the future as opposed to the future's already been written in, in certain ways. But uh, I, I didn't I make good... the best point there, but in my mind, <laughs> I think I knew what I was talking about. I'll cover over it. Uh, in chat, the Silver Tree mentioned that is it the wood elf that gets plus five to speed, bringing it oh, to I think a it 35? Is. I think it is. Oh, there you go. Thanks, Silver Tree, saving me there. <laughs> Jordan was fact checking me. <laughs> nice. So very cool. Well, yeah, and Fleetfoot. So Wood Elves have uh, thirty-five. There you feet. go. Yeah. Um, well, and you had said I want to even bring it back one more point, even back to our original discussion. You had said something that I want to. I think may have went by people, and I want to rebring it back so they really heard that. Okay. They keep outlining things in the Dungeon Master's Guide and then showcasing them in books proving to us how valuable that Dungeon Master's Guide yeah. is. Many of us may forget all of the cool mechanics are in there, or we read them and we don't know how they're going to affect our game. Or maybe we think, oh, well, honor system, I'm not really using that in my campaign, moving on. Yet when we get these other campaign books out, they show us how we could use them, yeah. how we could use Renown, how it could be a cool thing. And then all of a sudden, we've had this in our hands ever since the first release of the Dungeon Master's Guide. We just never applied it, and we didn't see anything that helped us imagine how we could apply it. Yeah. So it's very cool that they're bringing back these things that are great mechanics, but showing us how we can use them in our campaigns. No, so exactly. Cool. And uh, just the other day, my or maybe it was last week, uh, my Weird and Wild uh, uh, game where it's like dark and gritty, like Bloodborne, etc. Dark Souls. Uh, mm -hmm. That dungeon master, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about, but he said something to the effect of like, you know, it'd be cool if there were rules that let you do something like this. And mm -hmm. both me and another player were like, well, that's that's in the dungeon master's guide. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh well, I haven't read that. And I'm like, well, you should. Like, if you want to run more games, I don't I don't think it's required reading, mm -mm. but like a large chunk of that book is tables to help you make an adventure, magic mm -hmm. items. And so it can look intimidating, but you're reading a small little section on like alternate rules and how to like craft this and where to start an adventure and how to world build. And here are, yeah. here's the, the ideas of how the planes work. So if you want to incorporate, you know, like a, mm -hmm. a astral mythology into your campaign, you can do that. Or you can do something like Eberron where they're like, we don't have all those kind of things. And so, yeah, you're yeah. full of good points today. Cause that's another thing that the dungeon master guide, you don't need it at all to play Dungeons and Dragons. In fact, it doesn't tell you how to play Dungeons and yeah, Dragons. It has very few rules, but what it does give you is all the things to help you adjust or modify or change or add things in to something you're already running mm -hmm. or to flesh out an idea that you have and turn that into a campaign world. They have tools that help you turn that that kernel of an idea into a real campaign world. But nothing about how to run a session or what the rules are for 
grappling or you know any of those things a lot or unless there's alternate rules so the dmg has is a very inspirational book once you know how to play the game so yeah. it definitely is a pickup that you get once you know the rules once you're comfortable with running dungeons and dragons for your friends and family and then pick that up to help you with some inspirational yeah. stuff so. which is weird because normally you would think the dungeon master's guide would have all the rules to play the game but that's not how they did fifth fifth edition. They put all that stuff in the players players. Well, game. I mean, yeah, they want you to be able to. <clears throat> you you need so. the player's handbook to play, which is funny because you're like, yeah. oh, I'm not going to be a player. I'm going to be a dungeon master. Uh, but I, yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. I made the mistake. Like when I decided I want to play Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition, I thought, well, I'll go to the bookstore. In fact, I went to like Barnes and Noble, went to the shelf and bought the Dungeons Master Guide and brought it home and thought, okay, cool. I'm going to be able to learn how to play this and then run a campaign for the very first time because I've never played 5e. Yeah. I'd only played 3.5 and 2 and advanced and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I got home and read through the Dungeon Master Guide cover to cover and thought, wait a minute, I don't know how to play 5e. I should have <laughs> bought the player's handbook. <laughs> but so I know just, about those funny. alternate casting <laughs> methods. Yeah, I was like, oh, I could make a campaign <laughs> world, though. <laughs> this is really cool. Um, so that, yeah, that actually, cool. and and because of that, a lot of those can be system neutral. I bought the Pathfinder 1. Um, mm-hmm. I, they call it the, it's not the Dungeon Master's Guide, but it's Game Master's. Game Master's Resource or something, I forget what they call it. Uh, mm-hmm. But really awesome book. Um, has little to no Pathfinder stuff in it. Um, but it's all like, you want to build a world, here's tables, here's this. Yeah. And so like, I bought it because stuff. I'm like, it's just a really good resource for, um, building a game, uh, yeah. and helping Magic you do tables. things and, and custom monsters. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Custom monsters and like rolling this and, you know, like names for people, like how do I do yeah. NPC names, roll five dice and add these together and you get, you know, Kujar yeah. jar or something. So. Cool, cool GM resources for um, sure. Yeah. So and if you wanted to um, see Mythic Odyssey of Theros early, there is a live play going on right now on Dungeons & Dragons channel. They're doing it in Roll20, and they got at least their first session in, a nice two-hour session of them playing. Cool. So you can at least see what it's looking like. I'm pretty, I think I'm going to buy it in Roll20 so that I can use those resources in a campaign if I want to run them. I'm sure you're probably buying it on D&D Beyond, so that's, that's probably the yeah. way you'll see it. And then eventually I do want to buy the book. It's what I do on, on my shelf for sure. Um, so that was a lot of stuff with, you know, mythic odysseys of Theros, which I think are cool. We know it's coming out in June, the actual book itself that you can get from your bookstores is in July or even Amazon, I believe is when you get that will be in July. Um, and I can't wait for that. We did have a video from Bart Carroll, who does the dragon plus magazine for Dungeons and Dragons. And he had on Jeremy Crawford and they had on Dan Dillon. Um, yeah. which I'm still trying to be able to get on our show. I t- I've had a, a couple email messages with Greg Tito, um, and you have to work through their PR department to get anybody to come on oh, our shows. So, okay. you know, I think they want to make sure that we, you know, we're not going to bombard them with, what's the next book? Dan, yeah. you have to tell us. Yeah. We, we don't want that. We just want him to come on, talk to us yeah. about dungeon mastering and stuff. It's cool. But he's in it for the first time, which is cool. And they're talking about the UA article, which we've all been super excited about. And so if you want to hear more of, their thought process and why they did some of the mm-hmm. things they did. Dan Dillon sounds like he's part of the group that's helping with a lot of these UA articles in the last, since January, he got hired in last year. And I think he's been given, you know, um, the job of doing once overs or, or twice overs of these UA articles. Then it goes to Jeremy and Jeremy fine tunes them, and then they get released or there's probably more people in that process, but 
they at least sound like they're they've got their hands deep into these figuring out the rules and the systems they want to yeah yeah so they talk about the psionics and they talk about you know the three uh new classes that they were looking at they talk about how some can go away and maybe won't come back how some will get further refined or turned into something else and then make it out into books so it's a good video if you want to go out there and watch if you have some time um that was a really good one they do them every other week or so so you can kind of get an insight mm -hmm. of what they're thinking about which is cool um and then i had a really exciting thing that i thought what well, we talked about it last week so we had bad news gen cons um, been canceled for those of you who maybe not have heard yet, but I'm sure you've heard. <laughs> Gen Con wah, got canceled. Wah, wah. But we kind of were guessing that they might do a Gen Con online thing. And that's the email they got sent out this week that says Gen Con online is a go. It's on. And all the stuff kind of starts out. So June 1st, they're going to do badge registration, which is free. You don't have to pay anything to register for your badge. The only reason you do that is so that you can then sign up to events that are going to happen. So people, so People that are running events will be able to uh, post those on June 8th. Yeah, you can submit on June 8th. Start submitting yeah. on June 8th. They'll start And so what does that mean, Lucian? Like if I if I want to play a kids on bikes game or something, I can submit that if and you people can get in? Or I can host a bikes game. game. Yep. You can submit that you're going to do an event. You tell them how many people can be at the table, how many typically tickets you would accept. Um, you tell them what the typical length of it is. If you're charging, like before, this is regular Gen Con, if you're charging or if you're not, if it's a free game or if it's a right. ticketed game and what the price is, who you're with, and then just information about the game. And then they would assign you at that point a place to play this game if they approved it. So they have rooms set up in Gen Con where you can run those games and they have companies that pick all rooms and then their GMs run it there so like monty cook has a whole room mm -hmm. and they run all their games in there they submit those events for all the games they're going to run i'm assuming with the online is that you'll be able to submit an event as long as it's a a typical event they would let you submit running a role-playing game running a board game whatever it might be it could be even a presentation it could be even how to run a podcast how to run a D, &D saturday morning D, D show i mean it doesn't have to just be i'm running a game and i need players yeah, yeah. it could also be you know, all these other things that are going on. I assume all that stuff is still valid. They'll submit them, they'll put them up on the web page, And then on June 13th, people who have registered their badge will begin to take up seats and say, okay, I want to play on this one. I want to play on this one. And I want to play on this one. And, you know, you can start getting into those games. So that's what I'm assuming is going to happen. And then the actual convention itself is July 30th, 31st, August 1st, August 2nd. So that that last week of July, first week of, or first, last few days of July, first few days of August, right. four days of January. We, you know, every year, and we've only done this twice, but every year, <laughs> every we want to do live from Gen Con, yeah. Saturday morning D&D &D show. We Is could. this the first time we're going to be able to do it? Because we we'll, we're literally going to stream anyway. Uh, yeah. Maybe we should submit something. That could be fun. Um, and then, I don't notes. know, Gen Con official might, might like rebroadcast us, but I assume if you're doing a presentation or something, it's either going to be closed circuit Zoom meeting where you're just going to mm -hmm. like present like, hey, this is how you podcast, or it's going to be uh, you stream it. Um, and if you're streaming it, it's kind of like, well, we're already streaming it on Twitch. I don't know. Like Gen Con retweets us. I don't know. And or you're, I guess you're listed so more people can find out about you. But that's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I think the the benefit's going to be you're you're listed. And there's a bunch of people that have signed up that are looking for events and you, they could say, Oh, well, this thing's happening yeah. at that time. Maybe I'll go watch that. So, 
Okay. Like they could do a they could do a critical role game that could be sponsored by them and it would be the same as because it's all free, we're all signing up and just watching it anyways. Yeah, yeah. I think they're just organizing that part of it, just trying to keep it going. No. So no, and and kind of like D D Beyond or D D Live, uh, I feel like this has all been should we do something? And then they kind of just threw this together. Um, yeah. not like haphazardly. It's not like it's, it's not yeah, going to be they good. Already have the website. Uh, they yeah. Have yeah. But I think like, you know, they're just like, I guess we're, we're going to try this online thing. And so we'll see, we'll see how it works out. You know, who knows? So, so I'm excited. I'm going to do it. I know a couple of people in our discord had asked, you know, um, are, has anybody been doing these virtual cons yet? I've not done any of them yet, but this will be the first one that I definitely plan on getting mm. a badge. I like the idea of submitting an event, just seeing what happens, because we're going to do the show anyways. What's the matter? Oh, yeah, for um, this show. Yeah, we should. So we should why not? And then set up some events, maybe get to play in some games and and maybe get to see some events. All the vendors are supposed to be doing presentations or being having stuff set up that you can go. So I'm hoping they have a pseudo virtual um, Hall G kind of thing going on where you can go see all the new games. Because think about that. We're in 2020. There's a lot of companies that were getting ready for Gen Con to happen so they could bring their brand new game and show it to people. Yeah. And that's not happening this year, you know, so they, they have to get out this brand new game that they need to sell. And they put this work into out to the masses. They, you know, how's that going to happen? So yeah. That's where they were going to be interesting. That's where they were going to advertise because you know, Gen Con's like that and people walk by and they're like, Oh, what's this? And you know, yeah. death, death so. angel shadow is saying virtual Gary Con was fun. So that's cool. There's a couple of people that have actually tried it out. So yeah, my first one will be Gen Con. I'm sure we'll talk about it. We'll, we'll talk about it leading up in our shows to Gen Con. Um, and then, you know, if there's some open seats, maybe we can play with some of them viewers. We can all jump into a mm-hmm. game together or something. Um, and then even after the, the thing happens, I'm sure we'll talk about it on our show. So we'll keep everybody informed. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I know that uh, uh, Lex, one of my players in Rod of Seven Parts, he did um, Cyclops Con that Dungeon Crawl Classics did, which was kind of like them testing the waters for mm-hmm. DCC Days that's coming up this month in June. Sorry. Um, but uh, he had a lot of fun. Yeah. He like signed up, played a game, you know, and, and he said yeah. that if the money you pay to get a game is kind of nice because you're you're weeding out trolls is the way he put yeah. it. Like, like if I'm submitting a game to run, then there's an expectation that you're going to be, um, you're going to run a game, you're going to be professional, mm-hmm. you're going to have all of your ducks in a row, kind of a thing like that. And then the people that pay, like me, if I'm running the game, are like, oh no, people paid for this. Like, I better do this. And then they also expect um, a certain level of just like, you know, we're not going to ruin everybody else's fun. We're going to be respectful and we're going to have a good time because we're all paying for this. Uh, and it's not a lot of money. It's usually like $5 to sit at a table, sometimes less. Um, and who knows about online Gen Con, but, uh, it's the internet. There's a spooky thought of trolls because, you know, there's just like bad people, but, uh, bad actors as like YouTube likes to call them. CR 15 creatures are tough to be. (laughs) So, uh, but he had a really good experience. Um, I hope this isn't the new... I don't know. We're going to have to do this for like two or three years kind of a thing, because I just really like going to conventions and I like seeing mm-hmm. my friends in person, but uh, I guess that's the virus and we'll just have to wait and see. So. Yeah. Yeah. Very uh, true. But yeah. Um, and then uh, something that um, I was talking to my patrons the other day. So I have a monthly hangout with my patrons uh, mm-hmm. at a certain tier and we just do a webcam chat. Um, and one of them uh, brought up a piece of software that I immediately sent to you, Lucian, and I don't think you checked it out. 
but it's called Dungeon Draft. And this is, uh, it's $20, and then you just get it uh, through Humble I Bundle did, or forgot. something. I forgot. You sent it to me at night, yeah. and I thought, oh, you know what? I'll type back to him. Hey, in the morning, I'm going to look at this. Yeah, and, and you I didn't totally look at it. I forgot to go back. You I didn't did. look at it. <laughs> um, but you should all check out Dungeon Draft. Apparently, the guy who wrote this made yeah. something called Wonder Draft, which was creating uh, large maps uh, for mm-hmm. fantasy worlds. Now, Dungeon Draft is to create dungeons. And he's got it programmed that it's like, do you have a 40-inch or 55-inch TV or something? And you can select that. And then uh, I think it was originally, the idea was to uh, have a, a TV at your table. And you could open this program and it could fill the space of the TV. And then you could draw the map as they're exploring it kind of a thing. Uh, but anyway, it's a it's a map creator for dungeons and stuff. Uh, it's got a whole bunch of really cool things. You can make uh, pits and castles and water. And and I put I made a river and then I put some stuff under the river. And you could see it like w- wiggle, like it had animations because the mm-hmm. water distorted the light and stuff. Uh, I just think it's really cool. I'm trying to develop how big is a roll twenty map, and then I want to put that in dungeon draft so I can paint the map and then I, and then you just drop the JPEG in and expand it and line it up. Uh, and it, it could be really cool. So if, if you are, uh, interested in making maps for things like roll 20 or even making them and printing them off, cause you can just, you know, you make the PDF or whatever and you print it off. Uh, mm-hmm. if you have a printer, um, it's really cool. So that's just a cool thing. They're not sponsoring the show, but it seems like a really cool guy. Like you buy it and you just own it for life. There's not subscriptions and digital rights management. He's just like, I made a thing. I want people to, if you want to support me, totally support me. Um, but yeah. yeah, I bought it because I, I just seemed like a really cool And thing when I do. saw that in the notes, I thought it was what you were tweeting about, which was your WizKids things that you sent where the... the Oh, no, that's the Warlock Tiles. The Warlock yeah. Tiles. So I was thinking, that's and then different. it didn't even dawn on me, I was going to go back and watch that. But also, remember, me and you brought up Dyson Logos, I think it was last week or the week before, because yeah. he was showing some really cool brushes that mm-hmm. you could use to paint quick dungeons. He released those to his patrons. So yeah, I saw you that. you go over to yeah. his Patreon. For a dollar, out, I think I think he called them. them five different hatch patterns and two different floor grids. And they're basically a way to brush very quickly super cool old school style yeah. and this is the guy who's putting dungeon maps in wizards of the coast books they've been going to him to, to do some of these maps that's cool. for quite a few different things so it's cool that you can create things just like that too so yeah i'm gonna look at that dungeon draft because i'm always building maps for roll 20 for my players yeah. when i run my campaign that's one of the biggest jobs i found you do as a dungeon master if you're playing with a virtual tabletop you're just trying to draw the map out. You're trying to give mm-hmm. them the, the things they're going to be able to visualize and do and explore. And that's just part of the process. So having good maps like that is, or good map programs to help you do that just speeds everything up. So yeah. that's really cool. Yeah. I don't, I don't have the free time that I want right now, but if I do, if I find some free time, um, I kind of wanted to just stream on Twitch one evening and play with dungeon draft and just like, so you guys could see how cool it is. Um, cause yeah. it's just really neat. So lots of people in chat are also talking about map tool version 1.70. Mm, okay. Um, so yeah, keep those. If you out there, you guys have map creation tools. Yeah. I sent a couple to Jordan too. That was from, uh, Watanabe. 
he did mm-hmm. some cool map stuff too. Some random generation. We've done Don John yep. as another good map. So all these things are good ideas. Keep putting those in the comments. Keep helping everybody out with cool ways to make cool maps. So for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and so that's a long, long bit of news, but we had a lot to talk about. Uh, we're yeah. going to jump into Bardic Inspiration. Uh, yeah, Lucian, Bardic Inspiration. What, were you, what inspired <laughs> you game-wise? What cool thing are you wanting to do? Well, my brain was on the Gen Con, um, thinking about all the fun I was going to have, all the fun I might be missing, (laughs) all the memories, all the stuff that might be in the future when we go to Gen Con 2021, you know, and I just, it was on my brain a lot this week. And then I started thinking about, wouldn't it be fun if you had created a campaign that's based around a basic gaming festival, but in the, in say Forgotten Realms and a gaming festival then would be like carnival games right the the carnival would come to town and they would set up you know can you climb the ladder without falling down can you knock over the milk carton Mm -hmm. the milk jug things can you you know all these kind of cool things it would be like a festival that's maybe celebrating a god of chance you know maybe or maybe like a god you could do a god of gaming of some sort if you want to put that in but then the idea is that's how the players start and interact. And you get to play these fun little mini games with people as mm-hmm. they have their characters. But then they stumble upon some nefarious thing that's going on, evil carnies, or somebody's using this festival to power arcane art, the way the things are set out. Maybe it's drawing power from uh-huh. people and they're going to summon something at the end or you know, there's just something cool and nefarious on the underground of what seems like this carnival atmosphere, masks and festival and stuff that's going on. Or maybe it's like when the vampires and the werewolves get to interact with the normal population because everybody's wearing masks and things mm-hmm. they don't normally. So all these kind of cool ideas started to come together for me is how could you use a festival of some sort in a town as your starting campaign center and then weave a cool fun story around what's being done with this festival and what happens when it travels from town to town Mm. and why is it actually doing that and whose ulterior motive is making this happen and what's going on so that was my bardic inspiration just a way to have maybe an evil circus motif Mm -hmm. an evil carnival motif evil game festival motif something like that so what about Jordan's Bardic inspiration. What kind of thing made you start thinking about a campaign world this this week? Um, I I was on YouTube and I was watching YouTube. Uh, there go. is a a sculptor or a sculpture, sorry, in Denmark called Elia E L I A. It's really interesting. It kind of looks like a flying saucer, uh, and it's got these extra wide steps that look like it's not made for like regular people. And so you're trouncing up the top of these steps and it's just kind of like, oh, okay. Uh, And then at the center of it is a spout that shoots flame. But the timer is on a weird, uh, uh, the the timer's random, basically. So it could be as long as a month or it could be as little as a few days in between shooting this flame. And it shoots flame for like 15 to 20 seconds and then it's done. And so uh, it's just a, it's an odd piece of art. Uh, The video I saw, they were saying that this is the most uh, frustrating piece of art ever created is was the, Mm -hmm. his opinion, because if you want to go and visit this um, and, and a lot of people in the comments were like, can you imagine that you camp out and you watch this thing for maybe like 
four days. 28 days. <laughs> and then you get it, you're turning your back to get back to your car because you give up. And as yeah. you start your car, you hear the flame off in the distance start. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh. Um, so uh, it's just an odd piece of art. I will, I will put a picture in, um, in the chats so you guys can see what I'm talking about. Uh, there has been somebody, uh, I saw, I did see, find a video where somebody actually captured the flame. Um, so it, it does do actually shoot its flame. But it got me thinking of, uh, I've been reading the Dying Earth series, which is our Earth that mm -hmm. uh, is just destroyed. And wouldn't this be an interesting relic of the past to find? And so uh, my, my bardic inspiration, I guess, is, is what would your players try to, what, what could this be? Was it built to an old God? Was it this? And when you, sometimes you can put things like this in your world, these mysteries, and let your players define it. Like, I think this was used as like a stairway up to heaven, or maybe they did this to power hot air balloons to get higher and higher up, or, or maybe it's mm -hmm. malfunctioning and that's why the flame is random or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. Or perhaps you come to a uh, village and they worship this thing and they don't know, like when they see the flame, they get angry and they, they're like, oh, the God's angry and they sacrifice people. And so you're there being like, don't sacrifice people, you know, and the whole mission is mm -hmm. to figure out what, what is this? And uh, the village has never gone underneath to understand what it is because they're scared of it. But when you do, you find all of these mechanical things from a distant past that you don't understand. Um, so I thought it was cool because it's a real life thing. And we get inspired a lot from, you know, like if you want cool monsters, go look at undersea creatures. And you're just like, right. oh, yeah, that's a weird creature. I could totally extrapolate that. And now you you're fighting um, tardigrades the size of mm -hmm. bears in uh, in your D&D campaign. Yeah. Uh, so, Elia, interesting, Denmark sculpture, um, very large, very tall, shoots flame randomly. Um, yeah, I don't know, is this protecting That's something? What's one. underneath it, you know? Yeah. Uh, are the flames trying to send a message? Is it a beacon for something, you know? Space really whales? Really slow Morse code. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I don't know. I like that idea, and, and I kind of want to run... Uh, I've been reading a lot of Dying Earth and, and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and it would be fun to run a, like, distant future... Numenera. Very, like, this is a very Numenera thing, That's what I it? was thinking. Yeah. 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 Uh, where it is, listening. like, I don't know what this is, but it's from the past. We're going to call it Numenera because we don't understand if it's magic. We don't understand whatever else, but it, it shoots flames. What does it mean... Like it just, I don't know, seems, seems really cool. Something, something quirky to put in your, in your game. I like it. So. Very cool. Yeah. That's what Bardic Inspiration is for is just ideas to, to spice up a campaign or start a new campaign. Yeah. Just something to add. You know, we all have these ideas when we're watching something or reading something or viewing something. It's cool that you were talking about something art, an actual piece of art invoked something. That's mm -hmm. what art is supposed to do. That's very cool. So. All right. Well, tell us all about your Bardic Inspirations in our chats. And when the video gets posted, go ahead and tell us about it in the comments below. Uh, we want to hear what your Bardic Inspiration was. For. Yeah. Sounds awesome. So are we ready to hear about games? we got a little bit more time. Um, yeah, yeah. We, had, we always, uh, sure. we we always like to talk Dungeons about Dragons. Yeah, we like to talk about uh, the games that we're currently playing. Uh, what are you playing, Mr. Lucian? Anything? I'm still playing our Waterdeep slash Acquisitions Incorporated right. game. Um, we are definitely very, very thuggish at the moment. We had another one of our players decided an NPC had information. 
the only way to get that information was just to beat him up and make him tell us that information. So it all degenerated into, into this philosophical question about at the very end, are we heroes? Are we the heroes? Yeah. Are we the baddies? Are we the heroes of this story quite yet? Um, but we had a fun session of trying to figure out what's going on. We're trying to track down something. We're, we, we have this problem of we know there's these, like you said, bad actors doing things. We just don't know why they're doing them. We're always one step behind. We don't know the why behind anything. And we're trying mm -hmm. to catch up to where the why is so we understand what we can do to mm -hmm. stop it. Um, but we're, we don't know yet. So we don't even know where to go yet. We're just following breadcrumbs here and there. So that's pretty fun. I think it's building towards something. We're definitely getting closer, but we don't even know what we're getting closer. We don't even know what we've gotten ourselves involved in, right. let alone that we're getting closer to it. Right. So it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes. It's still fun. Play, I'm playing the bugbear gloom stalker ranger. I'm having a lot of fun playing ranger at the moment. Um, I think it's, we've, I've said it a couple of times now. And I think when we talked about it last week, you mentioned it. It's the, it's a fun ranger to play. It's yeah. like one that makes ranger not broken. If you're the type of person that thought ranger was broken the way some of the early subclasses had worked, the later subclasses make them feel better. Yeah. Um, to play those rangers we have a cool um warforged i know you're a big warforged um advocate and you like your warforged we have one in that's being played and i thought it was really funny because already the warforged is the one having to figure out what the moral conundrum is it's not the people <laughs> it's the warforged <laughs> that's trying to figure it out um and that was it was really fun just to kind of play these rough and gruff kind of mm -hmm anti-hero almost characters in a way we're so it, it's been a good good time our australian dungeon master has been doing great with that i did hear he also just took over a curse of strahd game so now he's dming a a curse of strahd campaign and he's dming our campaign so hopefully he doesn't get too burned out and oh, on. i want because he's doing a good job with us i want to do curse of strahd i think that would be yeah fun. he's he's uh took over for a dungeon master that kind of started it out but now he's going to put his own flair on it and i like the way he talked about it a little bit it's something that we bring up on the show all the time is that just add your own little flair even if you watch a show if you were watching critical role and you're going to run a wild mount campaign the idea is just add your own personal flair into it make it your own make it it's your wild mount or it's your forgotten realms campaign mm -hmm. jordan runs forgotten realms it's very jordan world when i run forgotten realms it's very lucian world yeah. um that's the no cool and part. i mean think about own. think about acquisitions incorporated that yeah. is not i mean they are silly they are yeah. very very silly but that's forgotten realms canon now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it is just kind of like a really like these random people that what, and, and they have an adventuring society and I don't know, but, uh, and a lot of people don't like that. They don't like that acquisitions incorporated is considered forgotten realms canon, okay. but, uh, those people, the DM and the players really made the realms their own. And I, I like that a lot. And I think everybody should do that. Um, what level is your, are you currently playing at like four, five, four, okay. we're about to make fifth. And that becomes the hard choice. I noticed you even mention it and when you get to talk about your thing, because I had this conundrum of, do I multi-class when I hit five yeah, or do I not? But I'll let you get into yours because it sounds like we're going to get into that discussion anyways when yeah. we talk about your uh, dungeons. And I was going to ask you though, are you, uh, this is something that came up. It's not in our notes. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm spawning <laughs> things on you. But uh, are you tired of low level campaigns? Like both running as a dungeon master and playing in, like, is it is no. it kind of like, I don't know. How do you feel about that? Like, I love. Well, I'm probably 
tired of one to three. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. I love four to ten. Mm-hmm. And I've never even gotten to play 12 to 20. Yeah. <laughs> like I've not even gotten into that yeah. unless it was a rare one off. Just make a quick character for a one, two hour session. Yeah. I haven't played a campaign at those high levels. Um, I think I'm pretty much over starting just at one and going um, and working my way up. I think I, I like starting somewhere around a three or a four spot, maybe a five. So you have real definition of your character and you have a way yeah. to go. That's how I, I've lately I've been like, I think, I think four and five is my favorite because mm-hmm. uh, both to run and to play in because you're not, yeah. you, you don't have like a crazy amount of options. Not crazy yet. You, yeah. you just have this and, in a, uh, I'm playing, uh, well, my Warforged seven, you know, he's level 14 and there's a lot between magic items and other stuff. And I'm not even a full caster. I'm just like, this is, this is kind of a lot. And I'm like, oh wait, I, I reroll on these. I think. Uh, and that's also just playing and running a lot of campaigns. You get your characters confused. LB hack them up can attest to that. Uh, cause she's always like, which character is this? Do I have advantage on sneak? Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, talking with some of my players the other day and they were like, yeah, I kind of want to try high level stuff. You know, like we, we're always like, oh, let's start a new campaign. And we always start at like level two, but like two's fine, but I don't know. Yeah. Um, and that does go into uh, what I was going to talk about. The multi-classing issue is uh, my weird and wild campaign. Um, mm-hmm. We got to level six. And so I was a level four fighter, level one warlock. And when we leveled up, I decided to take one more level in fighter to get extra attack. And I kind of felt like I had to. Um Whereas if, if we had started at level five, I think I would have been like, I'm going to be one level one warlock, level four, or sorry, level one fighter, level four warlock. And I really wanted to focus on the warlock stuff. But as we were playing, the dungeon master was like, well, I don't want to introduce magic just yet. So we Mm -hmm. were leveling strictly in our melee classes, uh, until recently, but it's throwing my like synergy off where I'm like, well, well, no, I, I, now I have to take another level of fighter when I don't want to, because otherwise I don't get multi-attack until like level nine. Mm -hmm. And that's unacceptable because the game is balanced around you having two attacks kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah. So you're also level four. You probably want a multi-class, but you really feel you have to take that last level of Ranger, huh? I mean, I need that second attack because yeah. if you don't get it, you're only, that's a long time to wait. I think in Ranger, it's a pretty high level again until you get, I can get it at five, but if I, I, I want to move into more of a magical realm to give me some shadow magic stuff. Yeah. Um, but to do that, then I'm not going to get multi-attack. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, I'm a, and I guess that's if you just person. rely on physical attacks because cantrips scale up just on your level, not the level right. of the class. Well, and you do so. have attack once and offhand attack. Yeah. There's that says uh, you can't use bonus action offhand attack. My my uh, specific character is a great weapon guy, though, so I only get the one. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah. Go. Can you do um, an offhand kick? <laughs> bonus action. I mean, if I was a monk. Unarmed strike, something. <laughs> um, an unarmed strike of just, like, one damage. But Yeah, boot. Uh, no, I don't know. So it's... Uh, Maybe we should talk about multi-classing more in depth at a later time. Yeah. 
But I, I like point. it's weird how you are kind of like, well, this yeah. is not like you could really hurt yourself with multi-classing or you could go like in the opposite direction Bonkers. and be like, now I'm just broken because I can do all of this stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I've got Paladin cleric something yeah. all the time. And I've made game. hypotheticals, but this is the first time I've actually multi-classed. And it's it's weird when it's at a slower pace and you're not mm -hmm. like playing with numbers to see what actually works when it's at a slower pace. You're kind of like, oh. Well, now I feel like I have to, you know, so. Or even just as you said, maybe we should have a show that's that's completely focused on high level campaigning. Yeah, that would be cool, too. What would you do as a high level DM? Yeah. What are some things to consider as high level players? You know what? Just really focus on mm. that, because I, I like I typed in chat here not to take up your time. I think most dungeon masters are scared to run a campaign where everybody starts at level 12 mm -hmm. and you're going to go to level 20. I mean, yeah. I don't know if I'm ready to start that campaign. You know, that's a, that's a big thing. Yeah. So maybe we should do that at some point. Uh, well, we'll start cool. writing and we'll talk about it next yeah. time. Um, <laughs> Rod of Seven Parts, uh, my D&D &D 5e streamed game on Nerd Immersion's channel on Twitch. Uh, it's also on YouTube. If you want to listen mm -hmm. to it on podcast form, it's on my Patreon. Um, this was, uh, it's a lot of fun. We're having a good time. But uh, this was something that came up is that uh, I have never had players that have been very attached and rigid when it comes to the backstories and how they envision characters. And I got a backstory from one of my players and I said, okay, like, I think I want to like add this spin on it and I want to do this. And uh, she did not like that at all. And so uh, <laughs> during during the game, I was like, oh, this happens. And then during our break, she's like, um, did you read my backstory? And we kind of talked about it. And I was like, I said, okay, I apologize. Uh, we'll discuss this after the show is done, but I mm -hmm. won't add any extra stuff. And uh, we were all civil about it. Nobody got angry, but I was like, here's, yeah. here's kind of the long run that I envisioned for you. And she came back and said, okay, that's fine. But like, I don't, I don't want this to be like this. Like I, I really, I am defined my character that this person is, is, is uh, good or whatever. And I was like, okay. Um, so I'm used to players just kind of like, yes, ending, you know, and maybe it's cause I play with a lot of theater people and they're just like, Oh, like Jordan wants to go in this direction. That's kind of cool. Or like, oh, I don't know. Uh, but this was a hard, like, it is not like that. Do you have a lot of players like that? And how do you, how do you deal with it? Yeah, well, it's funny that you say that because there were two groups of players I was playing with. There was the group of players that are my friends, but it's also just happened to be the group that doesn't put too much into their backstories. They put a little bit, but right. not too much. And they're very easygoing, very flexible. Something cool happens. And then I was playing Revenor with a bunch of fans of the show who are rabid character generating monsters and they love writing four page backstories and uh -huh. really digging into how this character became who they were and why all the things that happened. And they were very much against me changing different things about, no, this person, like you said, this person's actually was an evil this. And they're like, that's not how that works. Yeah. This is the reason and, I did this was because of this and this. And yeah. This. And, and it's okay. weird. Cause I, I brought it up and I said, um, yeah. well, like how well does your character actually know this other character? And they were quick to be like, well, very well. And I'm like, yeah. in my mind, it's more interesting that they were hiding something from you. And if they mm -hmm. were hiding something from you, like, 
what it is. And then I had them appear in a vision and I was like, what do they look like? And they were like, oh, well, it's an amorphous blob because he doesn't, you know, like they had all of these, like, I don't want to, I don't know all of this. And then, and then I go back to, well, if it's an amorphous blob, like how do you have a, a relationship with it if you don't know what, it, you know, it's so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a, it was an interesting conversation. Um, and I think. What was the lesson you learned? <laughs> well, thank you. That's yes. getting to the point. Uh, yeah. The lesson I learned is, uh, I mean, understand your players. And this was, yeah. we were all respectful and we talked about it. But uh, I said to her, you know, going forward, I'm going to just have to, uh, not going to have to, but like I will allow, I will let you define a lot of this. So uh, specifically in the scenario that we had, I had an NPC run up and they were at Candlekeep Library. And I was like, look, they f I found lore on your patron. And I read some of the stuff that I wanted to introduce for her patron. Um, and she didn't like that uh, mm -hmm. because it interfered with the backstory. So in hindsight, I was like, I should have said, oh, look, I found a book on your patron. What's in there? And let her describe yeah. it. And yeah. so, uh, and that was the compromise that we made. So I, again, going forward, I'm going to do that. And, and it's just more improv on your players. But if they have a four page backstory, then they're able to do this, you know? And mm -hmm. In all honesty, they understand their character more than I do. Just because I think it's cool to kind of push it in a weird direction, uh, it might not be cool, you know. And, and, and let's say uh, uh, I, I'm not trying to pick on LB, but let's say LB's character uh, decides to do this, and I walk in and say, "I'm your long lost brother. Like you mm -hmm. didn't know that I was here." That could be really fun and the dm might think it's really cool but that could really backfire where it's like my mother would always have told me if i had a brother and we would have do this and there's no reason that they would hide it and then i would counter argue and be like maybe you don't know your mom as well as you think i of course know my mom as well as i think and so mm -hmm. uh instead don't i mean with the right group you can surprise your players with something like that but overall i think uh, work with a player, you know, yeah, and, and, and it's like, hey, hey, LB, I want to introduce a secret brother. Is that okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. why not? You know, and so then they know it's coming and it's kind of fun. And, and the player lesson from that is the more rigid you create a backstory for a character you're going to play, the less room you're giving the dungeon master yeah. to add stuff in. Mm -hmm. So if you want them to be able to ad lib and surprise you and do things, make that less defined and let them know it's less defined on purpose. Yeah. If you do want to really define it, you want certain pieces to be very concrete, well, just let them know the concrete parts and where they can improvise things and be surprise you. Because as dungeon masters, we want to surprise you. And yeah. we want to bring things from the past or bring things that are going to happen in the future. So give us opportunities and we'll jump on those. Don't don't give us no opportunity because then it's it's not as fun for us to build stories for you yeah. if we don't have that opportunity. So no, and it, it's funny because I had players who were like, I'm very this is in Rod of Seven Parts, like I'm very attached to this character. Mm -hmm. Um and and but the, and a lot of them were like, but I don't think this will come up in the game. It's just for me. And I'm yeah. like, but I need to know that because yeah. I'm gonna do something counter to what you're thinking. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know. It's I, yeah, I, it's what, the first time this concrete? has happened to me, so it's kind of interesting. Leave um, some room for yeah. other stuff. Yeah. yeah, I like it. So, live and learn. We're learning <laughs> every day as Dungeon Masters. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that that is our show. We are two oh, minutes over. Man. Lucian is thrilled that we are two minutes over because he likes long shows. Push the limits. I'm a um, limit pusher. But uh, <laughs> yes, next week uh, we will probably be doing some not like a, a deep ish dive into uh odyssey of theros 
yeah. a mythic odyssey of theros we're going to talk about that um maybe just maybe i'll change the overlay a little bit so we could like look at it on dnd beyond i don't know uh, how busy am I? Extremely. So that might not happen. But uh, we'll talk about the things we like, the things we don't like, and and things like that. So uh, be sure to tune in next week for a really cool episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. Um, anything, Mr. Lucian, before we take off? Nope. Everybody stay safe. Enjoy yeah. your summers as they begin. If you're in uh, a part of the globe where it's not summer for you and winter is starting, well, enjoy that also. Yeah. Play those games, uh, gather your friends and family and, and spin those fantasy tales uh, because, you know, let's have some fun. Let's roll some games, mm-hmm. play some dice. What, you know, however you're supposed to say that. However, whatever. Uh, <laughs> yes. Wash your hands. Be awesome. You guys are great. Uh, thank you again for liking, subscribing, sharing this podcast with your friend. And, uh, we will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday morning D and D show. Goodbye. Our intro and outro music is eight bit March by twin Musicom, licensed under creative commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.